Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. And this morning, as I said before, we're joined by Ravinda Hunia and uh, Jeff McTainch. Um, I've got to start with uh, you, Jeff, if I can, please. Uh, Bowden Barrett uh, was 100th. What do you reflect on when you uh, see him about to lead the All Blacks out uh, and on this special occasion for him? I thought about it this morning, mate, and good morning to you and Ravinda and listeners. Um, it seems to me like this guy's been playing for you know 20 years, not a guy who... Um, has only been around for you know ten or so. It's um, it's remarkable, and and you know he hasn't had it all his own way. He came onto the scene with a boom, and he debuted for Taranaki, I think, at the age of nineteen, and and um, there on for the Hurricanes shortly after that. And and when he made his his test uh, test debut for for the All Blacks, um, he was obviously he was used primarily off the bench, and we saw the impact he had. Um, fashioned his way into that starting number 10 role, back-to-back player of the year, World Cup winner, instrumental in 2015, scored a try in the final. Um, you know, he, and when you look at what um, he's done for this team and the way that, you know, people like Ian Foster talk about him, they say, you know, Bowden, he prepares for the team first, then he prepares for himself. And so when you take that on board and you look at the accolades that, that um, he has a, he has achieved, uh, it's, it's remarkable. Um, I think he deserves it. As I say, he hasn't had it all his own way recently with the uh, the emergence of Richie Mahonga at number 10. Had to play second fiddle a bit, play at fullback. Now his brother Geordie's there doing a great job. So I think it's fantastic. He's been picked on form. Um, he really epitomises, I think, what it is to be an all-black. You know, he's, he's such a proud provincial man as well out of um, you know great school down there in New Plymouth, Francis Douglas. So I think he's done a lot for New Zealand rugby. I'm looking forward to seeing him celebrate his 100th, and I think it'll be uh, in style too. Ravinda, I, I imagine over the years you've, you've looked at... Um at Bowden Barrett and that and that all black jersey and um, you know, I, I think it's a, sp- a special time. He's the eleventh, uh, the eleventh player to achieve this uh, amazing feat of playing a hundred tests for the All Blacks. So, and he comes from a, a really big family. He's got seven siblings. What a proud time for the Barrett family. Hundred percent. And kia ora, Morena, uh, to you both as well. Um, yeah, just following on from Jeff, it's hard to to pack any more into that CV. He's an absolute legend of the game. But as you mentioned, Smithy, you know, he comes from this big whanau who, yes, will be celebrating, who will be um, right there, you know, they would have hoped to be there with him, I suppose, um, as he makes this milestone. He'll have, you know, some family there uh, with him. But, um, you know, as well as all the accolades that he um, has achieved over the years, there's so many people that talk about how, just how much of a great guy he is. 
how much of a you know great bloke he is. You know, he's a mentor to many of our younger players and a lot of you know our children, our tamariki look up to people like Bowden Barrett. Um, you know, wanting to aspire to be you know an All Black just like him when they grow older. He just sits. You know, he's just been such an ambassador for the game, such a great role model as well as an amazing player. Well, Ravinda, just um, not that far away, actually, um, in uh, Exeter. Uh, it's the 100th game for the Black Ferns. We had uh, D- uh, Dr. Farah Palmer on this morning. Uh, she was very reflective about the whole deal, being so much part of um, of our rugby, our, our women's rugby history. But I, I, I would imagine there's a, a bit of extra about this one because this uh, this is a real meaningful game, for mine anyway. Most definitely. It's a huge milestone in any sport for any team. And for our black friends to be able to achieve that, you know, not even just achieving it in playing for tests, but achieving it in a time where, you know, sports is very questionable with the likes of COVID, um, you know, wreaking havoc um, over the world at the moment. So for them to be able to power forward and be able to get these games and this tour, when usually we have seen in the past that, you know, if there are any sports or teams that don't get these opportunities that is our women it's, you know, and it affects them in terms of um, and they're playing and they're looking at a World Cup um, themselves so it's the best preparation that they have but they get this time to celebrate, they get this time to reflect they get this time to think about how far they have come as a team as, as not even just as a team but as, as women as wahine and they get to experience mm-hmm. that thinking about all the women that have served uh, before them as well I think it's a it's a very good reflection as well. And, and Jeff, what what uh, I look at all the time when I see um, the Black Ferns in action, whether it be the sevens or the fifteens, is joy and performance. I I guess that uh, is um, goes hand in hand with being so successful, and they are. Um, but uh, aside from that, just the joy of competing, uh, the fellowship they've got in their group, which uh, sets them apart from I, I think most other rugby sides that we watch. Absolutely, mate. You know, the fact is they haven't played a test match for two and a half years, so you put any other team uh, in that conversation and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost unthinkable. And, and as you say, um, they will turn up and play England in this 100th test uh, great occasion with a smile on their face. That's how they play the game and they're a fantastic advertisement, as Ravinda alluded to, for, for young tamariki around Aotearoa. Look, it's, um, it's a great occasion. It's been a long wait for these, for these women and, um, you know, to have a repeat of the 2017 uh, World Cup final uh, against England, um, as I say, amidst the global pandemic. I know they've got the World Cup next year. Um, they'll just be itching to play some footy. And I know Kendra Coxie just keen to get out there and, and again, as Ravinda sort of alluded to as well, do it for the, the wahine that have paved the way. So um, it's, a, it's a massive occasion. It's, um, it's, you know, 1991 was the first test match for the Black Ferns. Uh, the women's game has come a long way since then. Um, but as I say at the, at the start, uh, you know, to not have played a test match for two and a half years, unthinkable, but they'll do it with a smile on their face. Uh, please stay with us, Jeff McTainch and uh, Ravinda Hunia, who are our panellists this morning. Plenty more to talk about. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yeah, Jeff McTainch and uh, Ravinda Hunia are our panellists this morning. And uh, Ravinda, UFC action, of course. Dan Hooker back in action, this time uh, against a fairly formidable uh, chap in Islam, Makachev. Uh, and this is just, um, what, 34 days after his last, uh, uh, his last bout. Uh, of course, when he had to make that rush to get to Las Vegas anyway. 
<laughs> That's right. We were just talking about it a few weeks ago, weren't we? But, you know, that's the mm. kind of fighter that Dan Hooker is, right? He was um, put on a flight over to Las Vegas in the end, made it, won that fight against Nazareth in spectacular fashion, won that fight, and then was called uh, a couple of days after, I believe, asked if he wanted to fly again to Fight Island um, to face Uglan Makachev. Now, Dan Hooker is ranked um, fifth, uh, fifth, sorry, in the division. Islam is, is fifth, so it's a big fight for Dan Hooker that will, of course, push him forward uh, for title contention should he be successful, which we hope he will be. Um, but in, in a roundabout thing as well, he forfeit his, his flight home. He was all set to come home. He had his voucher ready after the Nazareth fight in Las Vegas. So taking the Islam fight meant that he doesn't know when he will return. I spoke to him um, two nights ago when he landed in Abu Dhabi and he told me that the UFC has done him a solid and will be flying his family out to him. Um, after this fight, so you know, if he is stuck over there um, during the Christmas period, he won't be alone. So you know, there is a little bit of a light there at the end of the tunnel, but um, but yeah, there's still, there's, as well as trying to prepare for a fight for four weeks, he still has those uh, travelling ones. But of course, we wish him all the best. Yeah, we do, uh, Ravinda. But it sounds like um, on uh, form um, and on ratings, etc., uh, that Makachev is a fairly fairly warm favourite in this fight. How do you see it? 100% he is the favourite, and um, in a Dan Hooker, you know, fashion, that's why he wants to fight him. He, you know, always prides himself on fighting the best fighters in the division. Brad Riddell actually wanted this fight. Of course, they both fight out of city kickboxing. They fight in the same division. And Brad has spoken about wanting to fight Islam for the very same reason. He's tough, he's explosive, he's durable, um, and he's, you know, Slowly but surely, been making his way up the ranks as a competitor for the title as well. So, if you're fighting the best and you're on the big platforms and you beat the best, then it's all the better for you and your projection in the rankings as well. But yes, Islam is ranked as the favourite at the moment. But you know, Dan Hooker never shows away from a big challenge. No, he certainly doesn't. That's one of his great uh, characteristics. Uh, Jeff, um, uh, whilst we get a little bit sick of talking about it, we can't avoid it. Uh, the influence on uh, on COVID and sport at the moment. And now, of course, one of the big hot topics is uh, whether um, inoculations or vaccinations should become uh, compulsory. The AFL have said yes, the NRL have said no. And on the back of that, a story I read this morning was uh, that most teams at some point are going to have players who cannot play because of their stance. And the Warriors will be no exception uh, when it comes to crossing borders. Um, so what what is your take on whether it should be compulsory, whether uh, if you look at sports across the, uh, you know, across the spectrum, uh, AFL, rugby, rugby league, what's your take on it? Peter Valandis has dropped the ball massively. Uh, you know, he's obviously head of New South Wales Racing as well. He's decided that uh, that, that, that that doesn't need to have um, mandatory vaccination. Victoria is as well on the racing front. But in terms of the NRL, I mean... Look, this has just opened up a whole can of worms. Uh, Nelson is off the Solomon. Melbourne Storm don't know what to do with him now. He doesn't want to get the jab. Uh, Victoria, you know, Victoria government have their own rules. Queensland government looks like they're going to say, look, if, if someone comes in here with, uh, and tests positive for COVID-19, people or close contacts around have to vaccinate for 14 days. They're looking at that. Massive can of worms, um, all sorts of legal issues. Uh, I think Valandi should have said from the outset, 
you've got to get the jab. The AFL have done it, as you say, and uh, I think five of their clubs, five or six of their clubs, 100% vaccination. So uh, as we head into uh, a new NRL season, um, it's just, I think, a minefield of problems, litigation. You look at the Warriors, you know, they're going to have players that um, the NRL will deem can travel to some parts of Australia and can't go to others. So you've got, you know, let's just say, for example, you've got someone on the books for half a million dollars and they don't want to get vaccinated, um, you know, then they're going to have to look at, OK, well, we, they can play some games at Mount Smart, they can play some games in Sydney, but they can't play in Victoria. Mate, just an absolute minefield, and I think Peter Volandes has dropped the ball. OK, uh, Ravinda, that leads me to um, something I hadn't actually thought of, though, because there's not much more closer contact that you can get get in uh, sport than UFC. Uh, would you know if uh, uh, Dana White has had uh, any sort of um, announcement? Uh, has he established any sort of a policy revaccination in that sport? Because uh, in that sport, a lot of people come from a lot of different cultures and beliefs. Uh, and I just wonder if there uh, is there any uniformity in UFC in terms of vaccination. <laughs> Not that I know of. And I actually had the pleasure to talk to um, UFC uh, CEO Dana White uh, before Dan's last fight, and he is not for um, mandating anything to do with COVID, and he is about freedoms. I don't want to talk about what his um, political preferences are, but um, he's not for the lockdowns. He's not for, for that. He's obviously down for the safety and the masking and the bubbles and all that sort of thing. So in my heart of hearts, I don't think that he would make a stance on that. In terms of international fighters, though, I think he gets away with it in a sense because... You know, our fighters can't leave the country or do certain things without getting the injections because of our own, you know, policies and mandates. And that would be for athletes around the world too. So he could actually, you know, benefit off of other government policies having already done that for him. But in terms of um, what happens in America, it's a lot like what Jeff was saying with Australia. Each state has its own rules. And um, USC just travel to the states that, that cater to their purpose and their beliefs. So, Ravinder, if you're um, going back to your, uh, your playing days, etc., if you're part of a team uh, which had the option, would you? How would you look at um, uh, it in terms of uh, the compulsory side of it? Would you be happy playing with uh, and against non-vaccinated people? I would. I would have a sense of worry. There's no doubt about that. Because for me, it's bigger than sport. It's about society. It's about our communities. It's about our families, our friends. Um, everyone that we hold dear to us is affected by this. And we're slowly getting to a place now where, you know, dare I say it, like cancer, where people are starting to feel that effect in their own, you know, circle of trust. Um, and it's going to get to that point, I feel, with COVID, the longer that things are drawn out, like, you know, not mandating things. Um, so, yeah, it would, it would definitely worry me. And if I was given, um, you know, the option to say, hey, um, or not even the option to say mandate, I wouldn't be dragging my feet on it because it's just so much bigger than my team and my sport. It's, it's, it's everyone everywhere. So if I can just jump in really quickly there, mate, I think, um, I think the, the president yep. at the start is, is key. Like, if, if you're going to see the president and say some can be vaccinated, some can't, well... You know, like for sustainability reasons, you're going to run into issues. As I say, if you're going to have to, if you look at the NBA, for example, Kyrie Irving, 220 million, you have to pay him still. He doesn't want to play. Um, I know that that's a different kettle of fish to, to what we deal with here domestically in sport, but you could run into the same problems and um, could be a real issue financially for the game and, and as, as I say, the sustainability. Jeff, just a quick prediction for the Black Caps then uh, before we go. 
Um, what are you what are you thinking uh, in terms of this match against India? It's so so damn important all of a sudden. Yeah, they wouldn't have been happy, mate, with uh, with that first uh, first up effort with the bat. I think um, we'll see um, we'll see a better performance against India. They've played some crunch matches over the last few years uh, against the Indians, so they know what to expect. And uh, I, I think you'll see um, the, the leaders in that black cap side step up. Um, did an okay job with the ball. Um, just have to be a little bit more accurate. But yes, okay. And, and I think um, they're just given how important this game is that um, the black cap should get it done. Okay, that's uh, great. Uh, Jeff McTaints, Ravinda Hunia, thank you very much for your, your time this morning. I uh, love those thoughts. Um, on Dan Hooker, uh, Ravinda as well, thank you so much for uh, your insight there. Yeah. I'm a lot more clued up than I am about it, but I shall be watching Dan Hooker because uh, he just seems to be one of those great guys fighting pretty damn hard and often against the odds.